The content of this podcast contains topics of incest and sexual abuse. Please listen with care. And if you are struggling, please call 1-800-273-8255 or reach out to a mental health professional. Welcome. I'm Lori Lee Binstock, and you are listening to a Trauma Survivor Thrivers podcast. The truths we hide only hinders any positive change and growth in our lives. Even worse, dark secrets fuel more dark secrets, especially when it comes to sexual abuse by a family member. I know firsthand I was sexually abused as a child, um, and that was a secret I kept for about 20, 20 something years, and, and it really it ate at me. But my guest today is Brad Watts. He's a mental health professional, sex offender treatment specialist, and author of the newly released book, Sibling Sexual Abuse, A Guide for Confronting America's Silent Epidemic. Brad, thank you so much for joining me on a Trauma Survivor Thrivers podcast. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You know, I've read the book and I understand why this is a difficult subject to broach, you know. Mm-hmm. Could you explain what sibling sexual abuse is and is this really an epidemic? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so when we talk about sibling sexual abuse, you're looking at sexual contact that occurs typically uh, more than once or twice. Um, it's not motivated by, by natural curiosity um, and is not age appropriate sexual contact. And so, so that comes from John Caffaro, uh, his definition of it that I use in the book. And, and it's a good way to, to look at it. And a lot of it comes down to you know, what is the motivation? So for example, you know, it, it's natural for, for kind of age appropriate uh, siblings to want to explore their bodies. You know, we see that typically through playing doctor, through showing parts, this is what I have, this is what you have. Um, but obviously that's not appropriate when you're talking about a 12 year old and a six year old. That's um, not appropriate with, with other more, uh, kind of intimate ways of sexual contact. And, and anytime there's coercion, manipulation, those kinds of things, those are all huge red flags that sexual abuse has occurred. And I, I know you, you call it America's epidemic. Mm-hmm. Why, why would you say that? Because it, it really, I, I've changed my thinking, you, you know, on that, you know, through interactions through social media, others, you know, people that, that have shared their stories with me and, and come forward. And it's really a worldwide ep- epidemic when you look at it. And because we don't talk about it, we mm-hmm. talk about, it's, it's one of the last remaining really taboo subjects in our national or in our worldwide discourse, if you want to use, use that analogy, uh, that we don't talk about. And, and people, and, and you shared your, your story, you know, waiting so many years, and that's common, and, and so many people will never disclose sibling sexual abuse for, for a variety of reasons, and they don't feel comfortable talking about it because we don't hear it talked about very often in national discourse. So in the book, you know, I've, I've kind of talked about some, some examples that very briefly it's come into, to, uh, into national media, you know, stories, things like that, like the Josh Duggar um, allegedly, uh, you know, acting out on... on um, the sister and then one of her friends and then it just kind of goes away 
and we just don't we just don't hear it talked about. And the more we can perpetuate a discourse and talk about it, survivors are going to feel more comfortable sharing their stories because those are the real experts on this. You know, the people that, that have been through it, and and they can educate us more on what we can do to help and to support because we have a lot to learn. But you know, like I said, it, it's just been really fascinating to me how many people, not just on social media contacting me, but within my own circles of influence that I didn't know before that, that have talked to me about things that have happened. Uh, so, so it's just, it's much more prominent than, than what we could ever imagine. But we just don't have a lot, of, a lot of good numbers on that because people aren't disclosing that. And uh, you know the the frequency and the prevalence which it, with which uh, sibling abuse occurs, but it, but we do know it, it's three to five times uh, more frequent than father daughter you know sexual abuse and others. But um, you know we know it's prevalent. We don't have a, a solid number on that, but it's just something we don't talk about. So that's why you know I, I titled it the book, the silent epidemic. Yeah. And, you know, going back to what you were saying about, you know, age appropriate about, you know, 12 to six. So if there is a large age gap between siblings and it's, it isn't curiosity, right? They're 12, I guess is, is um, when they should probably know better, would you say? Mm -hmm. Um, But you wouldn't consider like, um, like, a three or six year old or a, a six and like eight year old to be, you wouldn't call that abuse? Typically not. Um, like let's say that the three and six year old, you know, with, with what's going on, depending on, on what's happening, you know, what's occurring. Is it, are they showing each other, each other's genitals? Are they playing doctor? Are they doing those kinds of things? Um, usually if it would get more, so I say invasive for lack of a better word, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I would, that would send off red flags and maybe the six-year-old had been sexually abused. Those, those are things that you can see what kinds of terms are they using? Um, you know, certain words, if a six-year-old is talking about masturbation or uses a word like that, that that's a huge red flag or, you know, different kinds of acts that they're, they're committing. So uh, it's kind of case by case, but. But yeah. yeah, really just kind of the level that, that that happens. Well, how do you, so that, I guess that's just something if parents kind of notice, mm-hmm. you know, they'll, that's something that they should probably question. How should they handle that? Yeah. Yeah. You know, a lot of times if you have one talking, you know, just directly to, to your kids, two, it, it's good to get involved, you know, it's like a therapist um, is, is always good. Know, to talk to about things like that, people that are trained, and to reach out in those kinds of ways um, as well for parents. So when you lack those, those resources, and uh, kind of like I talked about in the book, you know, it's difficult. You know, parents don't know in a lot of cases where to go and, and where to find that kind of information. Yeah, and I'm glad that you're providing that information because I can assume that this is prevalent. You know, no one was talking about what was happening within my family. Mm-hmm. Um you know, and I'm, I'm slowly learning that that was something that was going on in my, my father's family. Um, yeah. So it was just, it's just, it was just perpetuating it until, you know, I was able to figure out this was, you know, I, I need to say something. Um, and it wasn't really like, oh, I need to say something. It was more of, I'm 
I'm going through a lot of stuff. I'm feeling suicidal. I'm feeling depressed. I'm feeling all of these things and didn't even realize it was PTSD. It was, it was interesting how, um, that happened. And I feel like for kids, for siblings who may be going through this type of abuse, they, they would show different behaviors. Yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Would that be, what type of behaviors would they be displaying? Well, and, and you've mentioned some of yours that, that you experienced, but it really runs the gamut. So you look at anxiety, depression, aggression is a big one, mm-hmm. you know, suicidal attempts, thoughts, uh, particularly with, with girls, self-harm, you know, is a big one. You can have, you know, sometimes excessive crying fits, changes of behavior, and you just feel like, hey, my, my child is just acting different. You know, what's going on? Um, you know, you could have grooming issues, you know, where, where they're not a common defense mechanism among uh, survivors can be particularly children is I'm not going to shower or I'm going to eat a lot, just trying as a way to, to make themselves feel like they're less attractive um, to, to their abuser if they're in the home. So it's just all kinds that you see, uh, you know, they have trouble, can have trouble remembering things, uh, things like that. But those, those kinds of things you really just want to monitor closely, but it, it certainly runs a, a wide range of, of responses that, that people have to, to that kind of abuse, that kind of trauma. Yeah, so I, I'm assuming that the, that's what impacts the survivor. What about the abuser? Yeah. Um, I can assume like they, they're going through some, some internal issues there as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you see a lot of secretive behavior as you can imagine. And so we call it, you know, grooming, uh, you know, it's a, it's a pattern of where they'll, they'll be bribing a lot of times if they're sibling into sexual activity, uh, coercing them into, into being quiet. So maybe it could be, I'll let you use my phone. Uh, I know Skittles is your favorite candy. So I'm going to make sure you, you have Skittles so you don't tell, or these are the consequences. They exploit the relationship uh, with your sibling and, you know, with, through fear, as far as you don't be, want to be the one that's going to break up our family. And so what I see or what, what happens a lot is once that's disclosed, you see similar kinds of, of actions from, from the abuser. They, they frequently will suffer depression. Sometimes they'll be suicidal, those kinds of things once it's, once it's unearthed. Because there's a feeling of loss of hope, you know, being able to, to rehabilitate, come back. And um, so, so those are some of the things there, but a lot of secrecy, shrouded in secrecy, you know, protecting everything that they can. So that's an important part of treatment to break down those walls of secrecy, you know, with a level of openness, uh, your supports and fails. And, and I know we, we're not talking about, you know, other family members like cousins. I know that I've heard a lot um, in, in, you know, doing this podcast and people reaching out to me that cousins, um, that is a big, big, I think that's probably more talked about than, than obviously siblings. Um, and I think a lot of it has to do because it's like within their, the close family unit, how, how does it affect the family? Like, especially if a parent or a a child says something to a parent. Yeah. it, It can tear families apart. You know, and, and the, the concern parents have is where do I go and what do I do? Uh, you know, a lot of times the first instinct is not 
oh, let me, let me get some help on this, but it's, hey, be quiet. We can't let anybody know about this. Okay, yeah, we, we see a lot of where survivors are blamed. Well, what were you doing? Why were you in Johnny's room to begin with? You know, why were you wearing that? And so a lot of things we see in the, in the larger scope of, of victim blaming, uh, blaming survivors, we see that within the family unit as well. And so it, it's that feeling of my family's coming apart. And then you talk about extended family, you know, what are they going to think? You know, what are my friends going to think? So it's just trying to keep that, you know, hush, hush, so to speak. And that, that's the worst thing, you know, that, that, we can, that, that can happen there because, you know, it's just constant, constantly, you know, trauma reminders. And then you're, you're putting them at such a greater risk because sibling abuse typically goes on for years and, uh, you know, lasts much longer than other forms of abuse. And, and so, as we know, with PTSD, it, it adds more to that complex trauma that, that these kids, particularly at such a young age, right. to have, you know, a trusted family member abusing them in that way. And you look at the different kinds of abuse, not just the sexual abuse, but the emotional abuse and all that, all that they go through. And so they typically will present, you know, to, to therapy as adults with, it, it's not, they don't come in talking about sibling sexual abuse, but here are my drug problems. Here's, I'm having problems keeping my job. I'm having problems in, in my relationships. So those kinds of things, then, then you kind of get to the core of that. And a lot of times it's sibling sexual abuse. This has started a lot of those problems. Uh, yeah, I actually um, was in one of the treatment centers that I was at. Um, there was a woman who talked about, um, you know, she was there about for self-harm, addiction issues. Um, but what was when I actually told my story about mm -hmm. my, my abuse was when she told me, you know, I was sexually abused by my brother. Um, and once she was able to actually say it out loud to people, you know, it got easier for her mm. in treatment. Um, I, I think she was scared. I think she was obviously hard. It was hard for her to confront um, or tell her family. I think, I think she was, she was told that, Hey, it, it was, it was a dream, you know, kind of yeah. brushed it off. Like it was just a dream. Um, and I know that that's, I can, I can only imagine that that's what many families would do, like just mm -hmm. kind of brush it off. But, you know, they were trying to treat all of the other symptoms of PTSD. Um, and, and because she didn't feel as comfortable talking about it and, you know, with your book and, you know, I feel like this, this will help more and more people talk about it. Um, so what is the correct way for parents to handle the situation? Do they, does it need to be reported to authorities or is this something that they can kind of handle within the family? Well, that's a difficult question, right? Because mm -hmm. like how as a parent, you know, as a father, you know, how am I gonna report and turn in my own children? Right. You know, I mean, that, that's a question that everybody kind of comes to. And, you know, one of the best ways to handle that is getting a therapist involved because a therapist is a mandated reporter. You let them do that. And then if it, it depends on the severity is really the, the question to it, but, or, or the answer. And then a lot of times with, like I talk about in the book, the legal system can make a lot of those decisions about treatment. 
Yeah, but one of the most important things is when abuse has occurred, separating the siblings and then getting them both in treatment. You know, trauma treatment for, for the survivor and then a specialized sex offender, you know, treatment uh, for the offender. And, and, you know, and then, you know, work towards coming back together as a family. But that's the most important thing is, you know, because you need to be believed. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it takes so much to disclose that. And the worst thing a, a parent can do is to not believe, to blame, not take action. And, you know, you know, I mean, it, it's when you're talking about in the same home going on for years and, and you're talking just, I mean, all kinds of trauma, you know, being offended on. And, and it, typically it's not going to stop unless something's done by the parents. It isn't hey, you guys need to stop this. We're going to keep that as a family secret. It's going to continue in, 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 in most cases. And so for, for the good of the family and, and to protect uh, a child, the surviving child, you, know, you need to get people involved. And, and one of the best ways to do that is contacting a therapist, going there and then you know laying that out and then making a report. Yeah. You know, we talk about we've talked about this a lot about how pa- um, parents want to keep it in the family. They don't want the shame to be put on their family or the slight shed, but it can get worse, right? You were saying like it's it won't stop, um, and then there's just going to be a host of problems like PTSD symptoms. Um, but you were you were talking about you know seeking getting a therapist and treatment options. What kind of treatment options? are there for, for a sex offender mm. as a sex offender specialist? Right. Yeah. So there's, it can be inpatient. It can be outpatient depending on, on the, uh, the severity of it, but it's, it's really specialized. And, and so you're talking about treatment is focused on empathy, responsibility, you know, developing, you know, addressing their own trauma, you know, in, in their own lives, um, you know, really understanding, you know, it's so important that they understand from their family's eyes, from their, their siblings' eyes, you know, what the abuse was like for them, as much as they can understand to get that perspective. There's so much, too, when you talk about brain development that makes them different than adults. And so they have a very, very high probability if they get into these specialized treatment programs that they're going to be able to rehabilitate and go on and live success, successful, offense-free lives, as opposed to adults who the focus is more about containment because mm. they're so set in these patterns of offending. You look at, like I mentioned in the book, Jerry Sandusky, you know, Larry Nasser, you know, those guys who racked up literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of victims through set out patterns of, of abusing others, you know, teenagers um, and adolescents aren't that way, you know? So a lot of times they're not thinking through all the consequences. They're looking at porn, they're getting involved in porn, uh, they're thinking about who can I have sex with? And then they're thinking, well, early on, I can't think of anybody within my home. I can, I can make my little sister. I can make my little brother. I can use that relationship and then I won't get in trouble for it. And, you know, a lot of times it just hits them square in the face. They're like, you know, that's why it's so overwhelming right, where they, they suffer depression, suicidal kind of thoughts is this is the full impact of, of what I did to my family, particularly to, to my younger sibling. And like I said, the very high success rates moving forward in treatment. But it, the important thing is getting them into treatment. So if as a parent, I just ignore it, 
well, I'm not getting my kid the help that they need. And then the likelihood that they're going to go on and develop these kinds of patterns and continue to abuse and abuse others is, is at a much higher rate than I'm able to get them in and get the kind of treatment that they need. But family therapy is a key component of that as well. And it's important to get really everyone in the family to get into therapy and treatment as parents to address just the, all the just crushing kind of emotions you can feel, uh, uh, certainly for the survivor and then also for, for the offending sibling. Yeah, I think that's very important for pa parents who are dealing with this in silence. You know, this is this is a good time to really think about your next move because I love what you said that there you you can you can fix this this which is not a pattern yet, but you can fix you uh, their brain is developing and there is a way that they don't have to be like this forever. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that that should be more of a motivator if there are parents out there who are dealing with a similar issue um, to get the help for for everyone involved, everyone in the family. Um, and you said, you know, everyone, there's a way to move forward and move forward with, you know, for fulfilling lives. What, what do you want to say to parents? Well, one, and, and most importantly, you're not alone. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't mean you're a bad parent because this happens. What's interesting in, in, is the fact, and in, in, as you research this, it affects every demographic that there is. It, it, this isn't a white problem, a black problem, an Asian problem. You know, I mean, it, it's races, socioeconomic standards. I mean, everything. Uh, it happens in dysfunctional fa families. It happens in highly functional families. Uh, and it doesn't mean parents so often beat themselves up uh, with the signs that the, they, they could have seen and, and, and all that kind of stuff. But uh, like what you said, there is a way forward. But, but the important thing is to get help, get people in treatment, um, that there are supports. And, and one of the frustrating things with our lack of discourse is this isn't exactly something you can post on Facebook or social media and, and ask your friends or family, hey, what do I do with this? Mm -hmm. And the more we can talk about it, the more we can normalize it. And you know, families do heal. They can heal. They can be brought back together. And, you know, survivors can heal and move forward um, from the trauma that they've experienced. Offenders can rehabilitate and move forward and live successful lives. So often parents think, does this mean my child's a pedophile? And no, it, it doesn't. It, it means that they acted out sexually in, in a very horrible way and they did a terrible thing but that they can move forward that they can learn and heal and and the family can heal and uh and it's important that they they understand as much as they can what they did to their sibling what they did to their family and that can lead to resolve that, that they'll never hurt anybody like that again and then in therapy you know they're, they're equipped with the skills going forward um you know, deficiencies that they've had as far as knowledge about health, healthy sexuality, how to form consensual healthy relationships, um, understanding empathy in a very deep way, being, being accountable, open, and responsible. Those are all key hallmarks for offenders to receive and treat. Wow. Was there anything else that you would like to add? No, I, I just, uh, as a society, I would just like to see us talk more about it, support uh, 
survivors in a, in a much more um, outreaching kind of way that, that this topic is no longer taboo. That, you know, my dream for this would be for us to have a Me Too movement for sibling sexual abuse, that, that all forms of sexual abuse, um, survivors um, can, can feel that support, that they'll feel the need to, to share their stories, you know, so that we can learn from it. And we can work to eradicate this epidemic, that, that offenders can get the treatment that they need so that they don't continue going on to adulthood, hurting more and more children, but it's a safety issue. And it's incumbent upon all of us to reach out and make an effort in this. And as we do, like I said, the prospects are really good. Well, that is promising. I do appreciate you doing the research that you did to get this book out because I'm I'm sure there are a lot of people who are listening to this who are thinking, wow, that was, that was me too. Well, thanks Hello. again. Well, that was Brad Watts, mental health professional, sex offender treatment specialist, and author of Sibling Sexual Abuse, A Guide for Confronting America's Silent Epidemic. If you would like to learn more about Brad or purchase his book, please visit my website at tstpodcast.com. That's the letter A, tstpodcast.com. Also, please check out the latest issue of Authentic Insider Magazine and subscribe to my website to get the latest news from Binstock Media Group. Thank you so much for being a part of the conversation. I'm Lori Lee Benstock, and you've been listening to a Trauma Survivor Thrivers podcast. Take care.